Demons, the devil, deliverance, and the children of God. This is part three. Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore take the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So you're not only saved, you're commissioned. Everybody, not just pastors and missionaries and teachers. God didn't just save you. He put shoes on your feet and says, take the gospel. 16. In all circumstances, take the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The evil one, singular. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. You don't need words to show the love of Jesus. To all sorts of people, you can show the love of Jesus without any words whatsoever. But you can't declare the mystery of the gospel without words. And so we all have two assignments. Every Christian has two assignments. To show the love of Jesus that you can do without saying anything. And to declare the mystery of the gospel that you need words and understanding and proclamation. We have two things to do, not one. 20, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Last week, we considered in depth the nature of the inward battle that the Christian faces. I'm talking now about Christians. And we saw the emphasis in every letter written to the church in the New Testament that our battle is with our own fallen inward desires. There's more, but we started just looking at the inward desires last week. And these desires make us vulnerable to the work of Satan through the temptations of this age. He's called the ruler of this world by the Apostle John, and we're going to look at that tonight. Because of his present freedom to entice Christians away from glorying supremely in Christ with all of their affections. And he calls them, Satan calls them and lures them to giving their hearts and wills and affections to the corrupt, fading joys of this age. Whenever people momentarily choose to take their deepest satisfaction in anything other than sacrificing themselves and glorying in obeying Christ, whenever Christians are tempted to find greater delight in anything other than Christ, spiritual warfare has taken place 
and they have been defeated. This is life's deepest, most meaningful spiritual battle, and many Christians are defeated without even knowing they were in a war. Behold Satan's genius. It's not fighting demons under your bed. It's what you watch on Netflix. There's spiritual warfare. And then we saw the answer to these genuine inward spiritual battles. Those battles with Satan are found in crucifying the flesh rather than expelling demons. I'm talking about Christians. That's kind of where we finished up last Sunday night. That's a real quick overview. That's all online, the previous two teachings. You can see the whole thing and notes. It would be a mistake, though, to assume just from what we said the last couple Sunday nights, it would be a mistake to assume that all we face are internal battles as we follow Christ in this present age. And so what I'm doing is continuing with last week's numbering. I said there were two kinds of battles Christians face. A, internal battles with fallen desires. That's what we've been studying. Now tonight, B, the external battle for the Christian is with the world through the influence of the devil. So you're all tracking with me what we're doing, eh? All right. And I have two thoughts that I want to develop thinking about the external battle Christians face First, the Christian now deals with the devil, singular, not demons, plural. I wouldn't expect you to just take my word for that. If you look carefully, you can actually see this shift in emphasis in the New Testament. As you read through the Gospels, you will constantly see... Jesus, and occasionally his disciples, and then in the book of Acts, exclusively his disciples. But if you read through the Gospels and the book of Acts, you will see Jesus and sometimes his disciples constantly dealing with demonic powers as they take the Gospel to the lost. Almost always they encounter demons or a demon. But once you get to 1 Corinthians... Once you get into the epistles, I say 1 Corinthians because in our New Testament, the order of the books, it comes first. Once you get to the epistles, the letters written to Christians, the letters written to churches, to believers, the emphasis is never on demons, plural, but constantly and consistently on the devil, Singular. You have to account for that somehow. That's just, that's just the raw data presented in God's inspired word to us. And so as you read it, you go, hmm, I wonder why that is. What's the difference? And of course, in the Gospels, this is before the cross, before the resurrection, in the Gospels. And then as the Gospel starts to spread in the book of Acts and move out from Jerusalem, but it's, it's coming into contact with non-Christians and people of other religions and people of other faiths, people who are involved in all sorts of 
of uh, practices in, in, their, in their cultic religions. And so constantly you see this encountering of demons. But not when you're writing to the church. Not in any instructions. There's not a word in any of the letters to any of the churches to any Christians anywhere in the New Testament that says, now here's how you deal with demons. Here's how you expel demons. Let me give you examples. I have one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, seven texts. Are they all in your notes? All right. So the reason for that was not to, to bore you with verse after verse after verse after verse, but I wanted to show you that when you're dealing with something this important, you need to look thematically at the scriptures. Anybody can pull out a verse somewhere with no reference to context, six words, and say, there, that's what the Bible teaches. But that's not a good way to do anything. What I'm showing you is, if you had a, if you had a, a big paint roller and did the whole wall, this is the whole New Testament. This is what the New Testament says about our spiritual, external spiritual battle. Let me just read some of these quickly. 2 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11. Paul writes, Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, singular. For we are not ignorant of his, singular, designs. 2 Corinthians 11, 13 and 14. For such men, you have to jump into the middle of a thought, false teachers. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan, singular, describes himself, singular, as an angel of light. Our opening text, which we'll deal with more as weeks roll by. Ephesians 6, 11 and 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 1 Thessalonians 2, 17, 18. But since we are torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavor the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan, singular, hindered us. That's an interesting phrase. 1 Timothy 3, 6 and 7. Leadership in the church. Appointment to leadership in the church. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit, fall into the condemnation of the devil, singular. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil, singular. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, singular, and he, singular, will flee from you. You getting the point? 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, singular, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, singular, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Okay, so that's, that's just a lot of stuff. The reason we looked at seven and we could have done 15 is this, I believe this singular emphasis on the devil is clearly the intentional direction of the Holy Spirit as he inspired these writers. 
The devil is the external enemy. And because he's not omnipresent, everyone knows he can't indwell all those Christians who are wrestling with spiritual problems. And since demons are not even mentioned as an inward presence in believers, the devil has to use means. He has to use means to multiply his influence and extend his reach to as many believers possible at the same time. He doesn't have to get inside believers to mess them up spiritually. He doesn't deal with you or me that personally. He's not that interested. He uses another means to get his job done, and the means isn't demonic. And it's this second external battle. First, with the devil singular, external battle. The devil singular, and now how he works. I said we had two thoughts under the external warfare. It's the devil singular, not demons, but he can't be everywhere at the same time. So here's the second thing to know about our external warfare. The devil seeks to influence our lives through the inward attraction of our flesh. Flesh isn't like this, but flesh, the the nature that's been affected by the fall, that invisible part of you inside, and you have to go back to Sermon 1 in this teaching series to get everything I said about that. So he seeks to influence our lives through the inward attraction of the flesh to the ideas and activities of the world. Let me just try and say it real clearly. In his opposition to the Christian, the devil's tool is not demons, but the world. And all of a sudden, things start to come into focus. This is why, this is why Satan is called the ruler of this world. John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. This is also why the Bible says the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 1 John 5, 19. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So you get this teaching over and over again where the devil is linked to um, the world, ruler of this world. He works with this world. So the world, now I don't mean the planet that you walk on, I mean, I mean the, the worldview, the ideologies, the goals, the ambitions, the loves, the interests. The world is the tool that the ruler of this world, the devil uses to appeal to our affections. It's external. This is how he works on Christians. This is the simplest definition of New Testament spiritual warfare I can give you. That's the, the how of the battle. For the Christian... The battle doesn't engage personalities in conflict, on conflict. The battle is spiritual at its root. And it is indirectly 
dealt with and led by, by Satan. Now, that has powerful implications for all of us sitting here tonight. You are involved in spiritual warfare. Not just people at a seance. Not just people that, you know, dance around a fire backwards, chanting at night and magic potions. Not just people who rosemary's baby or foaming at the mouth or the exorcist. You are involved in spiritual warfare. Real spiritual warfare. You're involved in spiritual warfare not when you're looking for demons in your inner self, but like I said... When you're picking up what you're going to watch on TV, you're involved in spiritual warfare where you are so hungry for that promotion at work that you will sacrifice home and church to climb the social ladder. You're involved in spiritual warfare when you spend so much of your income on home and clothes and recreation and travel that you can't honor the Lord with your tithe. That's spiritual warfare. That stuff doesn't just happen. So remember these three components of spiritual warfare. The devil, singular, uses the world around you to appeal to your fallen affections, that inward nature that all of us, all of us has. So the devil isn't working on you or on me by invading our beings. That's why I said before, you really needn't bother talking to him about anything. He's not interested enough to even listen to you. The devil is using the world, its entertainment, its goals, its dreams of success, its hungers, its appetites, its love of wealth, its love of power. The devil is using all these things. He's the ruler, the orchestrator of this world, and that's how he reaches minds of Christian people. Read Romans 7. You have a traitor inside your own being. It's not demons. It's you. It's the effects of the fall and original sin that linger. That part of me, that part of you that's easily fascinated with the attractions of this world. It's it's our own desires. That's That's where James and the whole New Testament says the problem lies. We naturally love this world. It's hard for us not to, and Satan knows that. The remedy is to gear your energy to where the battle is actually fought. 1 John 2, 14 to 16, we're almost done now. First John 2, 14, I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. The word of God abides in you. And you have overcome, here it is again, singular, you have overcome the evil one. Okay, overcoming the evil one is related to the very next sentence. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, it's from the world. So, last part of verse 14, 
overcome the evil one. The first part of 15, do not love the world. I take that to be John very clearly saying, if you, if, if, if you want to know the evil one, the way he works is he uses the world. If you want to overcome the evil one, you can't love this world. If you love this world, you've lost to the evil one. That's how he works, John is saying. And that's why... That's why frequently in the New Testament, you will find Jesus does it. I'll just give you, this isn't in your notes. Um, Jesus does it. You will find things that seem to be almost like inanimate objects, material things. And Jesus almost, almost ascribes a personality behind them. Let me give you an example. Just a minute. Maybe I won't, unless you have any money in my wallet. Maybe I won't be able to. Here, I do. Just a minute. I'll show you something. There's a couple of people in here laughing because I don't usually carry much cash in my wallet. That's a... There. 20 bucks. 20 bucks. I got to work a month for that, so you should be... Do you remember, Jesus talks about, Jesus, our Lord, he talks about um, the deceitfulness of riches. Jesus does, okay? I mean, Paul does later on, but I'm just talking about Jesus right now. But it's just a piece of paper. Like, there's no mind in here, right? This, This piece of paper can't trick. This piece of paper can't reason. This piece of paper can't argue or think. And yet Jesus says this, this right here, it's, it's a deceiver. What is Jesus doing? Well, what he's doing is, he's saying that, here's how spiritual warfare works. Satan, he doesn't live in this piece of paper. There's nothing wrong with this piece of paper. Satan doesn't live here. But what Satan does is, he, he works in here, in my thinking... My desires to to imagine that this will do more, maybe not 20 bucks, but you get the idea, that this will do more for me than it actually can do. Satan works to deceive our affections with things like money. That's what Jesus is saying. Works to deceive our affections with things we see on TV, with celebrities, with sport heroes. He doesn't live in those people. What I'm saying is he orchestrates. He's the ruler of this world and he orchestrates things. There is is nothing innocent or haphazard in the way this world pulls our hearts constantly away from our Lord. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. We sing it, don't we? Why? Because there's, there's a brain, there's a personality who orchestrates even good things all out of proportion and all out of shape to draw my hearts away from Jesus. And whenever I find more delight in anything than Jesus, I've lost in spiritual warfare. We don't think of it that way because, well, you're just backslidden or you're, you know, a little... We're just human, we're trying to do our best, or 
or you're just a little bit cool spiritually. But no, that, that's where spiritual warfare happens. 